Ted, I know, we all know that you're prophetic, but you had no way of knowing that I was going to teach, well, I don't think at least, that I was going to teach on oil today. So in the end, the Holy Spirit has the last laugh, I think. And that's, that's a little bit of an insight thing with me and Ted. All right, amen. So excited. This is the Go For It conference. Um, I want you to, if you have uh, your Bible in front of you, to turn. We're going to start with Philippians chapter 3. Now, there's a lot in there. There's, there's just really too much for today. I'm just going to highlight a couple of key things and then move on from that. But I'm going to start uh, with verse 8 is where I want to start. Lord, we do thank you. We thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit as you lead all of our hearts right now. Open our hearts, Lord, we ask. That is the cry of our heart. Open our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's the words of the Apostle Paul pretty well into his life. Um, and he was actually in prison writing this to the church. Verse 8, he says, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them mere rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, that I may know him. There it is. Let's focus on that. To know him the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. If somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already grasped it all or have already become perfect, but I press on. Everyone say, I press on. All right, they're going to retether me and we're going to give it another go. All right, am I there? Okay, awesome. Thank you for that. So I press on, if I may also take hold of that which was even taken hold of me by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not regard myself as having taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Again, there's so much to unpack there, which we won't do today. I, I think we already honed in on the things that I want to focus on. Paul's heart cry here as he's in prison, so he's lost everything, is I want to know him. If I could write anything to you right now, it's this view of the surpassing greatness, splendor of God. I am pursuing that, but what is he also saying? I haven't attained it yet. That's massive coming from the Apostle Paul in his ministry in this time, but it's also encouraging to us, right? He wants to press in to know God, but yet he's saying, I haven't attained it, and I count everything as loss for this goal. We're going to talk more about that today, but I want to draw out that word press in the scriptures. If we dig into that more, we find some pretty amazing things. Um, if we look at it from the definition in the Greek, it's to make, to run, or flee, put to flight, drive away, to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing to run after, 
This is Paul's use of it here. To press on, figuratively, of one who is in a race, who, who runs a race swiftly to reach the goal, and to pursue in a hostile manner. That's interesting. But also, it's also to persecute. Isn't that interesting? But this is where it gets really, really cool, in my opinion. If we look at the use of this word in other places, we see it in Matthew 5.10 when Jesus says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted. That's that word, press, for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Watch this, Acts 9, verse 4 through 5. And this is Paul, Saul of Tarsus, having a real encounter with Jesus. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There's that word. And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So at the beginning of Paul's ministry, Jesus is saying, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And it would be the same word Paul would use much later to say, I am pressing in. That same word. Two different meanings we would think. But the idea is this violence. And I see it as a, as a phrase of endearment between Paul and Jesus. Jesus knew what Paul, his ministry, would become. He knew Paul would be writing this. So he uses this phrase as a jab, as a, as a, a dear, loving, kind jab. Why are you persecuting me? And Paul repeats this phrase through his ministry in Acts. You see him say it all the time. He repeats those words that Jesus spoke to him. So I believe when he's saying, I press on, it's loaded. It is loaded. He remembers that his Savior said that to him. And now he's looking back with much different eyes, saying, yes, I started persecuting this man. I persecute this man with my love. I pursue him. I drive into him. The intensity I had in my sin, in my blindness, God, through his supernatural grace, has channeled and harnessed that intensity, and it's now what I drive into him in my love for him, my pursuit of him. So I want us to start to get a, a glimpse of that word, press, in that way. Now, pressing in is something else I want us to, to talk about. And this was the oil thing um, that I started with. Pressing in, we're going to see, we're going to look at it, produces oil in our lives. So when we talk about, and what's the oil? It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the presence of the Lord. It's the supernatural empowerment of the Lord to move in power. And that's produced when we press in, when we talk about if you remember the, the, the parable of the ten virgins, the five wise and the five foolish, it was all about do they have oil in the moment that God called on them. The time that was the most critical, did they have oil? Do we have oil in our lamp? We say that all the time. We think about that. But what does that really mean? Pressing in produces this. Let's look at an example. The widow, if you remember with the prophet Elisha, she was... Um, married to a man that was a son of the prophets at the time. Things had gotten so bad, she had nothing. She had lost everything. Her husband passed away. He was a servant of the Lord. And all she had in her house was just a jar of oil. That's it. Cooking oil, however you want to use it. Um, it was used for multiple things. And that's all she had. So she 
was in such bad shape, she had creditors. This is in 2 Kings. We're not, we're not really going to go in depth on this. I just want to bring your attention to it. 2 Kings chapter 4, 1 through uh, 7. You'll find that story. And most of us, I think, are probably familiar with that. But she had creditors breaking down her door who were actually going to take her kids. So if we think we may have it bad financially in some cases, imagine the pressure so severe that someone says, I'm going to take your kids to pay this debt back. That's where she was. And all she had, she's looking around in desperation, a desperate mother. All she has is a jar of oil. She reaches out to the prophet and says, you got to do something about this. And he says something so bizarre, I'm sure, in the natural. Go borrow a bunch of vessels. Make sure it's not just a few. Grab a bunch of them. Start pouring the oil and set aside the stuff that's full. That's kind of crazy. If someone were to tell you that, what does that even mean? But she goes in faith. He also says, shut your door. So I want you to think of this. She shuts her door. She shut off everything like Paul did. Everything's counted as loss to her, except the prophet's word. She locks herself into this and presses into this bizarre promise through faith that God was going to do something with nothing. But she locked herself in. I want to encourage us. There is a season and a time when we must lock ourselves into the pressing. And it's not always the fun part. We'll talk about the difference of pressing in um, this way versus abiding in the presence of the Lord, right? She was desperate. She needed a move of God. And it required her to press in in a very aggressive way. She shuts her door, locks herself into what the prophet says. What are her options? Her kids are going to be taken from her. She's going to starve. She takes this little jar of oil, and she has as many vessels as she could borrow, and she starts pouring. And we know the story. She fills them all. She tells her son, grab me one more, and then that's it. Now, they did have a good amount, but she filled everything she had. Once she was done with that, it stopped. The oil stopped producing supernaturally that way. And I want to say, how, what's, what's the cost we're willing to pay to press in with that kind of fervency? Where is our life? Have we made room in our life to press in that way? Now, notice also, what is, what is, what's the solution? It wasn't, well, I've got all this oil, right? So what do I do? I'm, I, everything's going to be good. No. Um, Elisha the prophet says, go sell it. Because it had value. It had immense value. What she received through faith, through the word of the prophet, had incredible value. It was a hot commodity during that time. So she was able to sell the extra, and then she had what she, need, what she needed for the moment. So the degree, to the degree that we press into the Lord, we're going to produce oil. Okay? To the degree that we lock ourselves in and say, I'm doing this. I'm sold out to this. We will produce oil. To the degree we radically adjust our life and make room for it, that's what we can expect in oil. So how are we adjusting our schedules? Pastor Tony says it all the time. You know, um, we're praying for this move of God, and it's going to mess our schedules up. And there's also the messing up of your schedule beforehand, which is another thing he says. Why not mess our schedules up now? If we know that's going to happen, let's do it now. That's the key to preparing 
for the oil to saturate us? What have we done to create those voids in our life that Holy Spirit oil can saturate and fill? How are, how are we making room for that? So oil is a commodity, and I want to bring attention to golden oil. We're going to talk about that. Golden oil is an extremely valuable commodity that fuels the economy of God. And we're going to need a lot of it if we want to do kingdom exploits, right? So when we say go for it, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about pressing into God with that intensity that Paul demonstrated. Pressing in, pursuing, adjusting everything and radically adjusting it. He got rid of everything in his life. Nothing had this position in his life more than just knowing Jesus, being saturated in his presence, right? So if we want golden oil, we have to press in. Now, pressing in. When we say press in, it, there's an assumption there that there's something to press through or press in through, correct? If we just enter the, the sanctuary here and the doors are open, you're entering. You're not pressing into the sanctuary. There's no resistance. There's nothing there stopping you from doing that. So when we say press in, we should already prepare ourselves that there's going to be some type of resistance, correct? Yeah. There's something we've got to push through. We've got to exert energy. We've got to exert our will with the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. But we are doing some work, aren't we? Again, it's not always that way, and we'll talk about that. But when we say, you know, abiding in the presence of the Lord, I want to draw a distinction here. I mean, even Hebrews 4.11 says that we, he exhorts the believers to exert effort to get into the rest of God, right? But this is different in my opinion. Um, we're talking about a move of God. We're talking about God doing something so significant here. And there have been promises here for us that there, we know a move's coming. God's set on it. It's established. It's not an if, it's not a maybe. A move is coming. The, the incredible thing is we have had many voices from all over the place state that God wants to do a significant part of that fire starting right here. Right here. God wants to ignite the blaze right at this point, ground zero. That's, that's the truth. That's been spoken. And God's going to have his way regardless of the obstacles because he knows how to press in. The question is this, will we press into that and believe that God's going to start here and do something in our midst? That kind of move takes pressing in. So I'm not talking about just abiding in the love of the Lord. God loves you, and you should be able every day to be able to experience a fresh presence of the Lord, and that has its own ebbs and flows. It has its own, today's tough, and a lot of it is, maybe it's what I'm thinking, maybe it's the stress I'm carrying, maybe it's... The, the, the pressures of life, maybe it is the enemy. So again, I don't want us to always think it's the enemy stopping us from getting into the presence of the Lord. That's not necessarily true, although there are times for that. But there's just resistance in life anyways. If you were to take us and throw us in space somewhere, and we, try, you know, there's, we tried to exert and, and, and use our muscles in different things, we would have atrophy after a while because we're not using it the same way we are here on earth. So there's a lot that we do that's resistance all the time, and we don't even think about it. Taking steps, walking, going up and down the stairs. And as we get older, 
you know, it starts to become a little more, you know, evident. Oh, I got to go down these stairs. My knees are all those kinds of things, right? We don't think about that so much, but it is resistance. There is just an inherent resistance when we're pressing in, especially for a move of this magnitude. We have to lock ourselves in to understand we have to press in. And it doesn't mean God's not with us. And it doesn't mean the presence of the Lord isn't saturating us. It means that there's work that needs to be done. And that's a good thing. That's an amazing thing. It's the process God wants to bring us in. So let's not be discouraged when we encounter resistance. It's that combination of our will to press in to God, meeting that resistance that activates golden oil in our life. Let's talk about that. How do we activate golden oil? Once we start pressing against that resistance, a supernatural process begins. And a lot of times it is the very squeezing out of things in our life that hinder us from going deeper with God. And a lot of that we don't even think about. We're pressing in. What is going on? Why do I feel this way? I just feel like things are, you know, I I feel there is uh, steel heavens over me, just a steel curtain over me, and I can't seem to break through it, right? I've had that feeling. That pressing in, if I could look at it in a different way, is an exercise of faith that will produce golden oil. And that's what God wants for us. God's not doing it because he doesn't like us or he's mad or he's angry. He's doing it to build spiritual vitality and strength and life so that we can get a greater amount of the golden oil of God. So he's refining some things through that process. Think about all the things in life that we could draw attention to, specifically, you know, that take pressure, pressure upon it to have this valuable product. Think about olives, right? And we'll talk about that. Grapes that need to be pressed. Juice from fruit. Precious jewels and metals. Different things like that. We could find a bunch of different examples of wow. Pressure is being exerted on something. Something's being squeezed. Something's being crushed. And something beautiful comes forth from it. As I was uh, uh, praying this and and I was writing my notes down, I was outside and um, I sat where I usually sit at the table outside, it has like a fabric cushion on it. And it had rained, so I specifically took my hand to make sure I wasn't going to get a wet seat. It was dry, so I thought, so I sat in it and everything was good. And I was going on and I got to this point right here. And I stopped because I was kind of getting stuck. And I leaned forward to pray and ask God, you know, help me here. And as I leaned forward, my legs, I had shorts on, my legs got soaked. I'm like, what is going on? Like, oh no, what's going on? And I looked down, and when I pressed forward, there was water gathered in that cushion, and the water came out and just saturated my legs, and I knew I was on the right track at that point. <laughs> so, guys, there's countless examples. There's also examples in nature of, you know, the little baby chick breaking through the eggshell. That's really critical. You could look at that and say, that's horrible. That poor chick needs to be with his mother. That's a really good thing for that chick. A butterfly breaking through that cocoon. Very vital for the strength of that butterfly, right? So let's talk about we press in, right? We talked about that. We press in to be pressed. Sounds fun, right? Uh, I don't want to take long here. Uh, I just want to draw our attention to Zachariah. It's more of just kind of a snapshot Um, 
Zechariah chapter 4. We're going to talk more about that, that golden oil and just see when I talk about golden oil being a heavenly commodity, this is what we're talking about. It's, it's, it's basically the fuel for heaven. It's what fuels heaven. And if you look in this beautiful picture in Zechariah chapter 4, the, um, you'll see it. And I'll just read pretty quickly through it. I'm going to start at verse 3. Um, Zechariah has this vision from the Lord. And he's seeing the holy place. He's seeing how worship and ministry in the holy place takes place. Um, and the Lord's asking him, you know, what do you see here? And he says, verse 2 actually, what do you see? And I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with its seven spouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. Also two olive trees by it, one on the right side of the bowl and the other on its left side. Uh, then I said to the angel who was speaking with me saying, what are these, my Lord? So the angel who was speaking with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Verse 6, then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord, Zerubbabel, saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You will become a plain, and he will bring forth the top stone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Also the word of the Lord came to me, saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands will finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? But these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. Then I said to him, what are these two olive trees on the right of the lampstand and on its left? Let's really pay attention now. And I answered the second time and said to him, what are the two olive branches which are beside the two golden pipes which empty the golden oil from themselves. So he answered me saying, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. Then he said, these are the two anointed ones, or in Hebrew, these are the sons and daughters of fresh oil who are standing by the Lord of the whole earth. So just a quick summary, because obviously this is something entirely that would, you know, forever, we could go on about it. But I just want to draw attention to that golden oil. So this is a vision of the ministry and the presence of the Lord we would call the holy place. But notice, I love this phrase, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, yeah. by the spirit of God. Yeah. He shows us a heavenly pattern on earth as it is in heaven. He shows us how it's done there. So he says, I want you to do the same thing. So Jesus, we know, is the golden lampstand. He's the light of the world. But the church is also the golden lampstand. Jesus is the two olive trees in and of himself. He's Jesus the priest, Jesus the king. But we are priests unto God. We are kings unto God. We are a representation of who Jesus is on this earth. We are daughters, sons and daughters of fresh oil golden oil that God wants us to operate in in our ministry. So the golden oil is the Holy Spirit's anointing in our life, the power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot minister without this. We need this 
This is vital. If we want, if we talk about the move of God, this has to be the foundation. We need to be operating in this. We need to be saturated in it, dripping with this oil in the presence of God. So if we don't take the time to press in now, we're lacking the thing that we need to do the exploits of the kingdom when the move of God comes. But imagine an army of us locking ourselves in to our lives now and saying, I will press in, even if I don't see the immediate rewards of pressing in, I press in because I know supernaturally golden oil is being produced in my life. The widow could have had as many vessels as she could have found filled with golden oil. Okay? So the invitation is limitless. Depending on our hunger, our zeal, our, you know, our, our spiritual condition that drives us to do radical acts to set us up for golden oil. Are we making room? So we see this picture and how important the golden oil is. We see the picture, the ministry of the church that the Lord wants us to minister the way Jesus ministers in the holy place. He wants us to carry the light the way he carries the light. And all of that is dependent upon our level of oil. And I love this. This is another part that Tony brought up a little while ago as he was talking about the lampstand and the seven lamps. And um, he highlighted verse 10 uh, in a way, the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the whole earth for sons and daughters like this. There it is there. That is just like what we hear in 2 Chronicles 16.9. He is looking for the holy, devoted heart that will radically pursue and press into the presence of God. A holy, devoted heart. That word in Hebrew is complete, perfect, with all that we are, to leave no room to not do it, right? We leave no room. Paul said, I got rid of everything, guys, to pursue this. This means that much to me. It's that critical. Um... So BJ, if you'd pull up that, that photo. So we lived in Israel. I don't want to take a long time on it, but a lot of you already know that. This is my oldest son, Ezra, when he was uh, four years old. And some of the amazing things we got to do in Israel was see biblical sites. This place was called Bet Guvrin, uh, Tel Meresha. Uh, and it was an amazing, ancient, ancient um, city. And it had a lot of caves and internal places. Well, it was an oil press. They produced a lot of olive oil there. Micah makes mention, they believe Micah was from this, this village. This is an oil, uh, olive oil press. And you would put the olives here, and then you'd crush them as you rotated it around. Sometimes I'd use donkeys or whatever. Um, I love this picture. I love, I love seeing Ezra and his zeal to do that. <laughs> His curly hair. And um, what a beautiful picture. The person that's, that's getting oil from olives isn't thinking, well, they, I'm sure they do. If they do this a lot, they're like, oh my gosh, I've got to go to work. But it's not, why are things so hard? Why, why is it so hard to crush these olives? It's, yeah, let's get this done. Because the oil is so worth it. It's so valuable, right? And there's a whole process in this pressing. But I want us to see that, how important it is, the oil press. Now, it's really cool because 
they get extra virgin olive oil when they take the process and they, they take maybe more ripe olives. Not all the time, but a, a good time they take the more ripe olives. And they don't mess with them with uh, chemical processes or heat, uh, temperature. Um, they just take and cold press those olives. And that's where extra virgin olive oil comes from. Regular olive oil can go through a refining process. That's why it's not as valuable and sought after. What's the key to that? What's the picture there? A heart that voluntarily throws itself into the press produces such a beautiful golden oil. Not that if you aren't ready, God will find ways to press us. <laughs> he wants the oil. He'll find ways to press us, but if I step forward in that process and say, Lord, here I am, press me now, Lord, press me now. You have my heart. You have my affections. That is a ripe heart. That is a heart that says, here I am, and it is precious unto the Lord. That type of oil is precious unto the Lord. Give ourselves to this process. Now, this is incredible. Jesus is the branch. If you go back in Zechariah 3, it talks about that that whole situation that Zechariah was encountering was a representation of the ministry of the one that would be sent, who is called the branch. We know Jesus as the branch. We've heard this. It's in Isaiah 11.1. 1. We've heard Jesus refer to himself as the vine. Jesus gives us this beautiful picture that he's a branch. Did you know olives are actually fruit? Which is interesting. But we are the fruit. He's the vine. We are the branches. He wants us to bear that fruit, correct? But look at the process that Jesus went through. And some of you may have heard this before, but that word, when Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane um, and pressed into the Lord, it literally means get shemen, which, um, or shemen, get shemen in Hebrew. It literally means oil press. And they believe that historically where Jesus was, was an oil press. And I went there, we, went, we, we got a chance to go uh, to, that, to the Garden of Gethsemane, and there are still olive trees to this day that would have been old enough to be there in Jesus' day, probably as shoots. Wow. What an incredible to know there's something alive and green that Jesus could have very well had some type of interaction with. Um, but they believe it was an oil press. He presses in to the place of prayer. And there's so much, you, if you go into, there's so much when you start looking at it. He presses in and he is pressed in the oil press to produce oil. What happens? He actually sweats blood. Jesus is the vine. When he's pressed, Yeshua's blood comes forth to cover us, to anoint us, to give us access to what we're even talking about today. He understands pressing in. When we think of Hebrews 12:2, he did it with joy. He suffered the cross and the anguish for joy that was set before him. So he, when he pressed in for us, he understood fully what he was doing. And he was willing to be pressed. I want to share um, a little bit of my, my personal testimony going into this. Because this, in my, in my opinion, is amazing. But how has it unlocked my life? Um, 
Without going into all the family details, my mom wasn't around growing up. My dad raised us by himself. And um, I had a huge gaping void and hole in my life from an early age of not having a mother. Um, and I know that would affect anybody. Um, I was just more, <laughs> it was more obvious in my life. When I see Laura interact with our children um, and the way she is with, with our children, it's, it's healing for me every time I see it because I think, wow, I didn't have that. And there is, mothers, women, there is a part of the nature of God that only you can represent to the world and to your children. Us fathers can. We, we talk about the father heart of God. God identifies himself as a father, as, you know, in the male form. But he became a mother to me in a way that no mother could ever fill the void that I had. So in God's grace and mercy, he, I was going in, in a horrible direction, and um, I was having pan panic attacks at an early age, passing out in school, many things. I just, my world was just, you know, a mess, and it was because mom wasn't there. Um, so I had a huge hole. So to me, if I was to get into a relationship, it wasn't just like, you know, we're dating, whatever, getting a chance to know each other. It was like, we're going to get married, and you're going to fill the void in my life. <laughs> Terrified so many young ladies. Because <laughs> if they showed any interest, it was like, this is it. Um, so it was, it, was, it was a mess. It was just a trail of, uh, of just hurt, pain, rejection. And a family reached out to me, and I became such good friends with a guy that was a bass player, and I was a little heavy metal rock star. I would like, not as good as my son Ezra, but actually, I was, I was better than you. Let's be honest. <laughs> I was in my room hours and hours, and that music started hitting something in my life, and it drew me to this family, and I would spend hours with my friend. We would jam in the room, and I'd leave, and then the mom and dad, the dad would be on the recliner reading the Bible, and the mom would be like, please stay and have dinner with us, and my dad was self-employed. He did the best he could, but we didn't have dinner around the table. It's just not what we did. Um, and I was like, wow, okay. So I'd sit around the table, we'd hold hands, and they'd start praying. And I'm like, I had some Catholic background, but at the time, I didn't want anything to do with religion or God. And we're holding hands, praying, and it was real to them. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's real. What is going on? They embraced me, and I got saved through a process of a year. Uh, got saved when I was 15 and started getting very plugged into the church. When I got saved... Um, all of a sudden, this vacuum in my life, it was clear to me that Jesus fit that vacuum very well. Amen. I knew it. I knew it. And it wasn't, you know, it took a lot of time to correct a lot of things, and it's still going on right now. Just ask my wife. Um, but all of a sudden, I had this hunger, and I knew God would not reject me. I knew I could come into his presence, and I loved coming into his presence. So... I realized this God-sized void that God could fill it, and it made me hungry, very hungry. And I would find meetings to go to at an early age. My dad thought I was in a cult because I was running off to the Bible studies. I wanted to be everywhere. I wanted, and then I didn't. Even, it was like a couple years. I didn't realize that I could do music for the Lord. I saw them do music just like you watch today, and I'm thinking, "Well, I'm a little metalhead. There's what, what can a heavy metal guitarist do up there?" And somebody invited me to 
to play. All of a sudden, it was like music. Oh, I can, God, you and I can do this. We can do music together. Changed everything. My loneliness drove me into intimacy with Jesus like nothing else. I started to find secret places of worship. Anywhere I could go, I loved it. I would take my guitar, I'd go outside. I lived in a really kind of urban area and wasn't always safe. So my grandmother and my grandfather had a dairy farm, um, 180 acres, beautiful kind of rural area in Pennsylvania. I'd start going to the farm and I'd find places, I'd walk out in the fields and I found this little old apple orchard. There were only a few apple trees. And... Um, there was a piece of old plywood not far from there. I would take the plywood, set it under the tree, and I'd take my guitar, and I would just worship the Lord for hours. Loved it. Had incredible experiences. I would go down to, lived uh, near Lake Erie, and there was a peninsula, and I would go out on the beach, and I would just pour my heart out to God and write songs, and songs started coming, and, and God started filling this void in my life. And at first, it just started like that. But then people started noticing something. So the secret place with the Lord turned into a priestly ministry where people started saying, why don't you, I actually started playing bass for my, my worship team, which wasn't my main instrument. Um, but then eventually they learned I played guitar, then it was electric guitar, and then it was, could you lead? And at 16, they started having me lead worship. And I loved it, my heart came alive. But it was already overflowing because I had the secret places with the Lord. Amazing things, I want to bring us up to this point. We've talked a lot about the move of God here. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't here in the 90s, but we were having a move of God where I was, and it was much smaller. But our youth ministry, we were doing youth camp, and we went to this place on the lake that had a cabin overviewing the lake. It was like an old YMCA camp with little cabins, and youth from all over the region, like three or four different states would gather here. So we had hundreds of kids that would come. And I was leading worship at the time. And the youth pastor had enough of a heart to just say, let's just go for it. Let's just let these meetings see what the Holy Spirit wants to do. We would press into the presence of God and stuff started happening. I saw one time we hit such a moment. Um, it was just spontaneous. And it was such a powerful moment. All, every kid in that room, and, and they were coming from many different backgrounds, fell on their face simultaneously. Everyone hit the ground. We st I couldn't even play. I was shaking. I couldn't play. And everyone just starts weeping, yeah. weeping, weeping, weeping. They start calling out nations. They start calling out cities. Some of these kids who had never really prayed openly ever, all of a sudden, they're pouring out this intercession for God to move. We had powerful encounters of going hours into the morning. You could look out over the lake at night and see the moon through the windows as we led worship, and God was showing up in the, in the room. We had, it was starting to make an impact. We had people send witches to curse our meetings, and we didn't realize it until one day we looked out, and there were these witches walking back and forth, and they were, they were you know, speaking curses and spells over what we were doing. Somebody approached them, and they said, we know what you're doing here, and they were trying to curse what God was doing. We had one lady show up from I-90, which was miles away, she was in despair, distraught. Um, she was having suicidal thoughts. God led her to our location. She knew nothing of it. She went from the highway, I-90, all the way to these back little country roads, wound up at our cabin, came in and fell on the floor weeping. 
and she got saved in the cabin. During worship, it was during worship. We were doing worship, and it was these powerful encounters. So that was my 90s experience. It, it grew and grew until, of course, um, I went to, to IHOP and met Laura. But I want to I tell you a story, and I want to I close with this. I had these places, these voids in my life. And even as I started experiencing the presence of God, it wasn't easy. But I understood that, God, I'm not letting go of you. There was one time I was so hungry, I went through a relationship uh, that just fell apart. And I'm sure it was because of my, my uh, issues in being too, you know, latching on to this person. And I was young, I was 18. But um, I was heartbroken, devastated. And I said, I'm going to go out to the farm. I'm going to go out to grandma's farm. And I'm going to spend three days and I'm going to fast. You know, there's some things that drive us and we get this, you know, expectation. I'm going to do this. And we lay it all out. And so I grabbed a tent. I grabbed an oil lantern, which I knew nothing about. Absolutely nothing. I knew I brought oil and I brought the lantern. So I thought, yeah, that's all I need to do, right? And I had the tent. And... Uh, the first day was pretty good. I just read um, a book by Tommy Tenney, God Chasers or something. And I was like, I want this. What is it? What's happening in this book? This is what I want. I'm chasing you, God. I'll do whatever I need to. I'll go out in the field somewhere where no one knows, and I'll just camp by myself. And so <laughs> I get there. And the first day is great. I'm doing worship. I find this, this wooden staff, and it looks like a Moses staff. I have it to this day. And I'm like carving things. I love you, God. All this amazing stuff. And um, I go, I set the tent up and I go to sleep that night. And I'm going to be honest, I was terrified. I heard all kinds of noises. <laughs> and um, I, I'm just in the tent and the stars are so beautiful and it's so freezing cold. I don't want to go out there. I mean, this is miserable. There's no way I'm staying here for three days. <laughs> and... Um, and I'm, I'm just having a really hard time doing this. But I'm saying, I said I would do this. And God, I want you more than anything. I want to do this. So I stayed the one night. I finally fell asleep. I, I said, Lord, you got to help me go to sleep. Because I'm not going to be able to sleep. You have to help me go to sleep. So I slept well. I woke up. And I thought, well, it's time to, time to light the lantern. Um, so I get the lantern out. I don't know how to use it. But it's easy enough to look at for anybody. you got to put the oil in the base, right? Put the oil in there, I see the wick, I see the, the knob, obviously the wick, but the wick's dry. Oh, I must just have to put it in and then it will get wet. And it's not happening, it's staying dry. I'm like, what? Oh, well, obviously, you got to take the oil and dump it over the wick <laughs> to get this thing to go. I didn't know you had to soak that thing for an hour. It needed to be soaked. It needed to press in and it needed to absorb. And I didn't know that. So I'm like dumping lantern oil. By the way, I've got this trench. I don't know why. I thought it was a prophet. I had this trench coat on, this weird trench coat, this really old trench coat. So I'm out there. I wish I would have had a beard at the time, but there was no way I could have ever grown one at that age. And I've got my staff and I've got the lantern here. And I'm dumping it in the oil. And it had a top part, and I thought, well, how do you light this thing? Well, there's a lever, guys, that lifts it up, and you can put your lighter in and light it safely. I take the cap off, and I'm like, well, you just throw a match in and light this thing. <laughs> boom, throw the match in, boom, explodes, literally explodes in my face. I smell eyebrows singed, hair singed, 
And I'm just like, I'm done with this. I packed it up and I left. <laughs> but that time with the Lord is so precious to me. If you, if you were to talk to me at that point, I, I would have said, what, what, is, what is it? What am I doing? What is going on? I was pressing in to the heart of God and God was allowing resistance because he loved it so much because the oil that was being produced was a golden oil. And I, I, I want to challenge you right now. God wants your affections. We know that. God loves your worship. We know that. Let's get to a place where we start to understand that there's sometimes, especially when we're talking about a move of God, we just have to lock ourselves in, guys, and realize I've got God's affections, but I want to produce oil. I want to produce golden oil. I want to press in, and I want to be pressed because I know it is the goodness and grace of God to give me this time to make room for oil because what's down the road is kingdom exploits like we have no idea. Guys, amazing stuff is coming. We're already seeing it. God wants us to be so saturated with oil. He wants us to be beyond what the widow had. He wants us to have vats and vats and vats of oil so we can do the work. We can run, not just with the footmen, but with the horses. When the day comes and the doors blow open and the move of God happens, because it will. Remember, it's not an if. He's promised it. He wants it to happen. It has to happen. We are in desperate times. And this is the heart of God to break off the shackles of the oppressed, to call in the harvest. He needs us to do that, and he wants us to be saturated with golden oil because that's what it takes to get the light of the world to the nations. And God wants to do that here. And when we have these meetings, and we'll have many more, pressing in is that process. Let's remove the part that starts to make us feel God's not doing anything. Oh, he's doing something. He's always doing something. If we could just lock ourselves in with determination and not flee from the campsite like I did, but say, I'm going to stay here, God. I'm going to stay here. And my wick is saturated with oil. It's not burning my flesh. (laughs) God doesn't want us to burn out. He doesn't want us to burn our flesh. He wants us saturated with golden oil. Let's pray right now. Father, you brought us to this point in this time right now. You are determined, Lord. To move in our midst. And you are full of grace to prepare us by giving us enough oil. Not just enough, but an abundance of oil so that everything we do, every work we do is saturated in the oil of God. And I pray right now, that you would saturate this place with your oil, your presence. Worship team, you can come up. Saturate this place. I want you to, let's all stand. I want you to lift your hands, okay?
I want you to imagine yourself that wick before the Lord. It's a process. Those olives, those, those ripe olives in the press, it is a process. But how precious the work of God when we submit and surrender ourselves to it. Have your way today, Lord. And I would say this, that if you want an increase of the oil of God, let that be the call today. Let that be the ministry that takes place. And however the Holy Spirit carries that out with whoever, and, and Tony and Gary, however you've, you feel led to do that, I believe that right now, brothers and sisters, is the call of the Lord that we would take whatever time we have today to worry about nothing else like Paul, to leave everything like the widow, to shut the door and lock it, to press in for this precious little bit of time that the Lord has given us today and see how saturated we can get. Just see how much golden oil fills these vessels. Lord, let the power of your Holy Spirit fill us and release the golden oil, release the new wine. Lord, we press into you because we know you are pressing into us. Press in. We press in. We press in, Lord. We press into you. We want encounters with you because we love you. Because you're the only one that satisfies, Lord. Because we've tasted and we see that you are good. Because the world is empty and full of woes and full of depressing events. But you are the giver of life. You are the giver of oil, Lord. Let it flow in Jesus' name. Amen.